All right, and we're live. How you doing, bro? I'm blessed, bro. I can't complain. How are you? Bro, I'm good. I'm good. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Happy Resurrection Sunday. What did you go up to? It was a very peaceful one. Um, just at home with the family. Uh, listened to a service. No, I started with Insanity. So Val and I, missus are doing Insanity again. Um, I decided <laughs> out of this... <laughs> This is an incubation period, and I need to come out of it stronger in all ways. And one of the ways is physically. So, yeah, we are doing insanity right now, trying to just get physically fit. Um, tuned into a church service, which was really important, focusing on what you see, which is so poignant in this time period. Like, what we see or choose to see really matters. Um, and then reading. I've been doing a lot of reading of late. Um, Another one of my challenges out of this incubation period is to read the entire Bible. So I've read like the first four books in like the last seven days. What, front to um, back? Front to back. Yeah, front to back. Definitely. So it's, let's get out of this stronger. It's, Absolutely. Let's get out of this I'm to a lot of young people and I keep on saying to them, this is time that we're not going to get back. <laughs> How are you? It's, it's, it's so true. And that's exactly what I've been doing um, slightly differently. I've been reading a lot. I've also been listening to a lot of podcasts. Mm. One podcast that I recommend is Business Wars. Um, Precious, if you're listening to this, thank you for the plug. Business Wars is amazing. I'm currently listening yeah, to the first series, which is Netflix versus Blockbuster. Amazing series. It just shows you all of the intricacies of that war. And it was exactly that. It was a war. It was espionage. They were, <laughs> they were sending spies into each other's offices to try and gather intel and they were undercutting yeah. each other's prices it was amazing um but yeah just finding new sources of of insight and yeah. as you said we're not going to get a time like this ever again or at least i hope we don't because if we start getting this more regularly oh, i'll be yeah. in trouble definitely that business or podcast is something i'm definitely going to tune into simply because of the the blockbuster and netflix because it's one that we've often spoken about and almost just marveled at. When we think about blockbusters, how do they not see Netflix coming? And I've been told in the past that they had opportunities to, to purchase them, but chose not to. And Multiple chances. Hindsight is beautiful. Go for it. Not even just chances to purchase Netflix, but to, to wipe Netflix off the face of the earth. There were a few occasions where they had their foot on Netflix's neck. And all they mm. needed to do is make the right move. I don't want to ruin it, but there was one point at which Blockbuster had more online subscribers than Netflix. And then they brought in a new CEO and the new CEO was like, what are we doing with all these online subscribers? It's a waste of time. Let's cut the marketing budget for, these, for this online subscribership and let's focus on our physical stores. That's where the money is. <laughs> and how much is Netflix worth now? Oh, God, God knows. God knows. Billions. Hindsight is a beautiful thing. I, I always think about blockbusters because you don't want to be them. And if we're not sensitive, we all could. Expensive lesson number one. You should always be the person trying to put yourself out of business first. I like it. Always think about how you can put yourself out of business before your competitors can work mm -hmm. out. Welcome to the Expensive Lessons podcast. Uh, this is Welcome episode three. And today we're going to have an interesting conversation about execution. 
And this is one that I had my mind on pretty much since we started this discussion. I didn't know how to articulate it. And that's what Afalabi, who is an English teacher by profession, is amazing at. So behind the scenes, before we started today's session, we had a good conversation about how to structure today. But before mm -hmm. that, we have a couple of questions that we want to try and answer. Yes, so questions being sent in, and please, people, continue sending questions in, um, no matter how um, obvious they might seem to you, um, there is no stupid question. So one of the questions was around how much capital um, will I actually need to start up? And that was the question. So the question is, to start up, what? Because if I'm trying to start up a competitor to Netflix, <laughs> I might need to speak to good old Bill Gates. <laughs> or, you know, a few people with a few hundred million just hanging around. From my personal experience, um, it was 10K. And I'm going with a relatively small figure. 10K is a lot of money, but a relatively small figure. But to stress the idea that start with what you have. It does not have to be tens of thousands. And it wasn't 10K um, initially. It actually incrementally grew. I think initially it was probably under two, um, one and a half. And it came through the process of friends, families, and fools, like we mentioned previously, definitely target them. They've got cash, pull their cash together, um, and go ahead. Don't think about that mammoth figure. Don't Google for a figure, because it will put you off. Um, start with what you have, start small. I entered into the hair and beauty industry <laughs> with two variants. And for those of you who know hair and beauty, um, two variants? In an industry where companies will sell or have um, a, a range of items ranging from 70 all the way to 200 is, is nothing at all. But we started with what we had. So start with what you had. With us, it was under 10K. That 10K reached 10K after maybe six months or so um, and compound. But we'll speak about compounding later on. And you mentioned you got your money through friends, family, and fools. How much of that money, how much of that 10K number was your personal savings? At least half of it. Um, close to two thirds was mine. And then I reached a stage where I needed to uh, source more product. And I didn't have the cash. I still had stock because I was trying to increase my variance at the same time as shifting what I had. Um, and at the time I came across the story of Steve Jobs and how he went back to Apple. And when he went back to Apple after being kicked out, one of the ways in which he made it successful was that he streamlined their products. And I always had that in the back of my mind. At the same time that I'm trying to increase the number of variants that we had, I needed to ensure that what we stocked was of value i.e. your local corner shop is making money of bread, water, milk, and Snickers. Not those toys or those magazines that you see on the shelves. No one's buying them. Um, so what actually sells? So to answer your question, at least two-thirds of it was mine. A good third was borrowed. And how important do you think that is to actually have some of that money be money that you saved yourself? essential like if you're not willing to invest your own money <laughs> are you really in this um if you're not willing to actually save from what you actually have people say i can't save you know, you can save there are luxuries that you have in your life which you just don't need to have um 
this incubation period has taught us that there are luxuries which are putting businesses out of business which people are no longer buying um put your own money in if you can't put your own money in you can't say to one of your friends families or fools or future investors that this is a credible idea because you haven't invested yourself um i could not look someone else in the eye and say i believe in this if i haven't put my money where my life is well thank you i think that's very clear hopefully that was useful to people that were listening hopefully hopefully thank you uh second question um I'm going to shift this to you, Abby, to tackle this. It's around, it actually builds on the first question, around investment. How do I get investment? How do I go about that process? So I'm going to share a term which I think intimidates a lot of people, and it doesn't mean to. But the first thing you're going to need is a business plan. And a business plan isn't necessarily a 30-page document which covers detailed financials and competitor analysis, market analysis, etc. A business plan could simply be a page. A business plan could be a drawing. It could be a video. But what you need in the form of a business plan answer a couple very simple questions. Who is my customer? Why was the customer going to spend money with me? How much money could I possibly make? And how much money do I need to get started? Mm -hmm. For your initial business plan, those are the types of questions that you need to ask. And bringing that all together, you need a vision. You need a narrative or a story which is going to compel people. And that's why in this day and age, I would recommend video because that's a great way to pull people in to what you're trying to sell. So I would say create an interactive business plan. Now that is something that you can now share with anybody who you're, in, who, who you're engaging with. As you've already said, friends, family, or fools. And, and let's break this down. So depending on who you speak to, we can delve into that plan. So let's talk about friends first. As you said, it's good to have some savings in the bank before you start speaking to people. The next thing you need to do is compel the people around you, your friends or family, and say, this is what I need money for. Because as soon as they start to understand that this money is going into something tangible, something real, then it's less scary. Nobody mm. wants to throw their, their money down a well. But if, if you can convince somebody that your money is going into tangible objects which can sell, then you know that the money is still there. It may be in monetary or currency form anymore, but it's in a bunch of boxes next door. And if worse comes to worse, I can get my boxes back and I can go on eBay and get some of my money back. Who was the first person bought your product? <laughs> Do you know what? I really should know that person's name, but I know that in September 2015, we've had eight sales. And of those eight sales, one of them was my sister. Now, I cannot remember whether she was the first. I don't actually think she was the first. I know that she was one of those eight and it was a sympathy purchase um, so once again we've got to thank the friends, family and fools who will actually purchase your goods just to be nice to you and encourage you along the way. But that, that highlights my point which is you shouldn't be spending your investment on marketing because mm. marketing in your first couple of months is always going to be friends, family and fools what mm -hmm. that money should go into is something tangible 
But you make another really interesting point, or you made another really interesting point about what if you're a services business? How do you spend that money efficiently if you're a services business? Well, if you're a services business, then it is reasonable to spend your, your startup investment on marketing. But what you would expect as a services business is before you're starting to request money, you should already have a tangible proof of concept because by delivering a service, all you need is yourself and your equipment. So before okay. me going to money, sorry, before me going to somebody and asking them for money, I should be able to say, well, I've done this many services. I've been able to deliver this many uh, consultations or I've been uh, engaged with this many customers already because what do you need as a startup for your, for your service? And if you do need some startup uh, costs, maybe you're a masseuse and you need to buy um, a, a, a massage bed, whatever it might be, then that's not a significant amount. And ultimately you should probably be making that money yourself, um, making that spend yourself. Um, but the, the idea there is that you need a vision, a compelling vision that people can engage with. And if it's your friends and family, then they need to get engaged with that vision. And they also need to see that you've actually done some of the work and that their money is going to be in safe hands because you know how much money you need to get it off the ground. You know how, how long that investment, that initial investment will, will keep you for. And you also know how much return on investment you expect to deliver to those people who've invested in you. If you're going to a bank or a building society, it's a lot more sophisticated in that you need a detailed business plan with a, a lot more financial detail behind it. At that point, I would recommend engaging with somebody who knows numbers, somebody who works in the industry, who can give you a good framework to build your plan around. But it's the same process. You need a vision and you also need a clear idea of how that money is used and how you expect to pay the investment back. But there's another way that you can raise money in, in this day and age. And that is going direct to the source, going directly to customers who believe in your product or service or value proposition and saying, we don't have anything yet, but we want to make it a reality and we want you to be part of that journey. Over the last couple of years, we've seen so many crowdfunding websites pop up. You've got GoFundMe, you've got Indiegogo. If you believe in your product, and you're not too proud to, to, to explain that you, you, you want to build this from the ground up, then crowdfunding your initial investment is a great way to go. I mean, you mentioned a few things there, which I imagine people have questions around. Um, if you do have questions around business planning, do send them in. Um, you spoke about a business plan not necessarily having to be uh, reams and reams of paper. They could be an A4, it could be an illustration or a drawing, even a video. Um, bring your questions in about that. I have a follow-up question around sharing the vision. There are innovators who are poor communicators. Um, what would you suggest to someone who clearly has the vision but doesn't really feel confident enough to convey it themselves? What would you suggest to someone like that? Someone you might be listening who knows, you know, I know what I'm thinking. Um, I know what I want to say, but I'm just not really confident enough to say it to even friends, family, fools, let alone my clients or investors. The first thing I would say to that person is well done. 
well done that you've identified that in yourself because there are a lot of people who have never really taken the time to build up that level of self-awareness and say, I'm not very good at this. So if you have identified that that is a weakness, then well done on the, the first step. The second step is work on it. Work on it, work on it, work on it. Accept that you're never going to be fantastic on it, at it, but work on your communication. And the best way to work on your communication is to bring somebody into your team who is a good communicator mm. and give them the responsibility of sharing that vision on your behalf. All the while, you are learning and you are developing your own skills. There is no excuse for a CEO of a company to not have the core capability of delivering their value proposition. But when it comes to selling that vision effectively, find a saleswoman, find a salesman, somebody who it just rolls off the tongue, somebody who can add illustration, who can add um, a vivid sense of excitement to the story that you just can't do it. And all the while just take notes. Um, and this raises a, a, a significant question about when do you know it's time to build a team? We won't go into that yet, but I yeah. really think that those are the three steps that you need to consider. I think step one is identify the weakness. And in this instance, it's your weakness in communication. Step two is build an action plan developed at targeting that weakness and turning it around. Step three is accept that you're never necessarily going to be the best at that particular area. And in that instance, bring somebody in who can deliver that effectively. Somebody whose strength is your weakness. Mm. Invaluable there. I think that we'll definitely do a, a podcast around how to build a team and when to know to build a team, but also leadership. Listening to you speak about identifying your weaknesses highlighted my reading on Moses. Moses was an amazing leader, um, flawed in many respects, but purposeful. And one thing that he did, which was genius, but came from vulnerability, was asking for a speaker, which was his uh, brother Aaron. He was able to actually communicate to people's emotions in a way that he couldn't. So wise words there, definitely find people who can do what you can't, um, because someone has to be able to convey your message purposefully and emotively to other people. Agreed. So, do you want to talk about today's topic? Yes, so execution. Um, execution is everything. Um, I would like us to really think about what it means to execute, not only in this season of COVID-19 coronavirus, where there are those who are starting, those who have started, and those who are floundering, who all need to execute. I also want to think about those who prior to this started and are successful right now and what they had to do to execute. Just to share really golden nuggets to anyone who's in that position where they're either starting, um, pushing or potentially floundering. How do I um, just ensure that I have the right mindset to fulfill the ideas that I have? Um, I, I read a quote recently saying that your strategy isn't the issue, it's that you're inconsistent. Um, a strategy is key to execution. Consistency is also key. So what are the key nuggets around execution? And we'll just put together a few questions that we'd like to go through. Um, first one, 
No, the first one, you, you changed it. You wanted to speak about the why. Absolutely. Go for it, go for it. So execution is everything. Mm. But what is, if, if, if you imagine execution as your vehicle, mm. so you want to get from A to B, yeah. execution is the vehicle that gets you from A to B. Now, your execution could be a Fiat Punto or it could be a Ferrari. And those all depend on the skill sets around you. Now, mm. before I want to talk about the vehicle, I want to talk about the fuel. What goes in the tank? What allows that Ferrari or that Fiat Punto to even get off the starting line? Because if there's nothing in the tank, you're not going to move a centimeter. And that's the why for me. Because as an entrepreneur, it's not glamorous and you need a reason to get out of bed every day. So the first thing I really wanted to talk about is that why. And I want to ask you that question. What was your why in the beginning? And how important has that been for your journey as an entrepreneur and delivering effective execution? When you say that execution and your why is everything, um, is understating it without understating it because it truly is everything. Um, my why was constant threats of homelessness and poverty. Um, it was not seeing your biological father ever, not seeing your biological mother, potentially seeing her every two to five years, uh, living with uh, random foster parents and just not having security and always dreaming and wishing for a home, a home that was yours or belong to someone in your family and not having to move from person to person, from school to school. That was a deep seed inside me. Um, but what's important is that that seed didn't germinate at the time it potentially should have. You would think that someone who went through that would always have that why in the back of their mind. But like many people, I became numb. Um, and I became numb because I did what we were told to do, which is ironic because I'm an educator and I firmly believe in the power of education. But I did what I was told to do in terms of go to college, go to university and get a good job. And I, I did all of those things. But then I realized at the age of 25 that my good job wasn't going to buy me a house anytime soon. Um, and a, a friend of ours sent me an email which changed my life forever. In that email, he showed me something he was working on. And creativity is contagious. Get around people who are creating something. It, it will rub off on you. And it lit that spark in me that said, that seed which is in you is dormant. You've allowed it to die. You need to wake that up. Because if you don't wake it up, you're not only impacting yourself, but you're impacting your future generations, your future seeds. And thus, I literally got up. And I refused to allow that why to die that didn't mean to be poetic but I just refused to allow it not to bear fruit um, both of us have read a book by Viktor Frankl um, the man search a man search for meaning please ignore the title it could have been better he speaks about logotherapy he's a psychologist during World War II um, in Auschwitz suffering and what he identifies that those who survived survived because they had a reason to survive um, and he's not the first person to identify that. Prior to him, you had the likes of um, numerous philosophers who found it. One of just uh, gone from my mind now, the one who said, God is dead. 
someone told me. Um, but it's Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche, thank you. Um, everyone has identified the importance of the why. Um, it's a biblical principle. If a man knows the why for doing something, he can overcome anything. What is your why? Once you harness that why and keep it, and, and, and really keep it at the front of your frontal lobe, at the front of your mind, then it can become fuel. But if you do what I did and know what it is, but bury it, you will remain buried. So your why was all around providing a level of security and stability that you mm. didn't experience yourself growing up. But also it was about truly realizing your potential. Mm. If you were given all of the resources available, where could you be? That's a really scary idea because you, you know, the, the biggest gift and the curse is you can be anything that you want. That's the gift. But the curse is you can be anything that you want. And that can lead to paralysis around decisions. Mm. But that's the challenge, which is mm. with everything at your disposal, what are you going to make of it? And it's intimidating to a lot of people, but for you, it was a challenge. It was, I live in one of the most prosperous countries on the planet, access to resources that some people could only dream of. What am I going to do with it? Why not me? Why not me? Um, a lot of people will look at that conundrum and quiver and say, I'm not on it. I'd actually rather play small, lie low. But if you make that choice, acknowledge you make that choice and live with it. But if that choice unsettles you to your very marrow, get up and do something. But that's a very interesting point because what you're saying is that that why it's not a social thing it's a personal thing you're not doing it because of people around you you're not doing it because it sounds like it's good you're not doing it because you're going to be a ceo and have people address you that way you're doing it because there's something within you that tells you that this is what you should do yeah yeah and that's very important because i think we do live in an age where everybody believes that they should be presenting in a certain way just because of what they see around them. It's mm. easy to fall into that trap. But to those people, I think it's very important to remember that a company can't have 100 CEOs. It needs a CEO. It needs a CFO. It needs a, a, a COO. It also needs a treasurer. It needs a employee it needs a staff member and some people are going to self-actualize in completely different roles and not yeah. everybody needs to be the person who is the figurehead of the company and if we think about it looking at the church as a metaphor nobody's going to go to a church where you have a hundred preachers every service yeah you need the ushers, you need the deacons, you need the congregation, you need the choir, you need the drummer, the piano player. All of these people come together to make an effective church. So the question for anybody is, how do I fit into this ecosystem? Mm. And what, is, what do my values tell me that I should be doing? 
And then who do I need around me to make it a full ecosystem? Like we're really going into that team session, which might have to be next week, because it's, it's crucial to identify the qualities and the characteristics needed in your team. Um, you've spoken extensively about the SWOT analysis and the, the need for that. So that I think next week's podcast is almost decided for us. It's been decided. Team, watch this space. Okay. So we've talked about that why, that driving force, that fuel in the tank. So let's talk a little bit more about the what. And Mm. you've coined a term which I use on quite a regular basis, which is beast mode. And when you decided, when you have that energy, you get that heartbeat moment where where your heart's Mm. beating faster because you've had an idea Mm. and you can't wait to execute. Yeah. You talk about entering into beast mode. And for mm-hmm. me, beast mode tends to mean that my hair doesn't get cut for a while. Um, normally, my uh, nutrition goes out the window. I'm doing, yeah. I'm doing 14, 15-hour days and building. But mm-hmm. at the end of the beast mode period, there's something to show for it. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about that. What does beast mode mean to you? Beast mode fills me with a, a range of different emotions and I'm, I'm actually comforting myself right now as I'm thinking about it because it, it costs everything. Um, I'm going to start with negatives first. It cost me my health. Um, to give you a little bit of context, beast mode at its height was waking up between 2 and 3 a.m. Um, to wrap parcels, to wrap parcels, to wrap more parcels, to listen to podcasts in the, in the background, listen to preachers, to then drive at 6 a.m. to go to the post office before driving to work, working at that time, um, one of the best institutions within my industry, to make it really specific, the 15th best state school in the country, to go execute there, then leave and go home and get home for maybe around 6 or 7 to wrap parcels and then to try to eat and sleep between like 9 and 2 a.m. in the morning to do the whole process all over again. Um, and to do that continually, because behind the scenes, almost tipping into the team podcast, I was the team. I was the director. I was the customer service agent. I was the cleaner. I was the accountant. I was the marketing director. Everything. Um, and going back to our first conversation around how much money do you need, when you don't have a lot of finances, when someone's not going to plow 100000 to your business and you only have two k you're going to have to be resourceful. You're going to have to build muscles which you didn't have before by being resilient. Um, that beast mode will cost certain things. And I've, I've learned great lessons from it because it, if I did it again, I'd have to try to protect parts of me. I'd have to try to protect my relationships. Um, it cost me my relationships. There were instances where we went to birthday parties and I fell asleep at the table. Imagine falling asleep at a, a dining table um, because you're just exhausted. You're, you're present but not present. I wasn't present ever. Um, and what, one thing that saddened me was I remember there was one occasion where you said, you know, I see what you're doing and I understand, just paraphrase, I understand why you're doing it um, and I support it. But you're no longer fun. And I, I had to accept that there's the fruit, there's what I want, um, and then there's the cost. Um, people speak about beast mode. Beast mode comes with great costs. Um, relationships, health, time, 
airline, it costs you, it costs a lot. Um, it can be extremely beneficial and fruitful if done correctly, but there are, there are warnings. Um, there's a, there's a time when I used to say to myself, forgive me for my French, but you've got to be pissed off to be great. You have to be so annoyed internally that you refuse to give up, that you've entered into that arena and you are not dying. You do not have the biggest weapon in that arena. You have a, I don't know, uh, a bow and arrow and everyone else has got a bazooka and AK-47, but you are ensuring that you're dodging everything, that you're staying on your feet, that you're agile, that you're moving and there's no time to sleep. But you're going to keep on going because you're remembering that why. And the why is at the end of that tournament almost. But it comes at a cost and it's not a healthy cost. And if I went back, I'll do it very differently. I would have to guard my spiritual health, my physical health, my, my relationships, my family members. Um, the peace mode can work, cool. but there are health warnings. Is it necessary, peace mode? Within reason, yes. And I say within reason, because I believe that you have to, you have to work harder than you ever did before. You're entering into an industry. You are a new player and there are existing players. There are seasoned players. There are people who are exiting that industry who have more than you do and you're trying to enter it. Um, how are you going to outmuscle? How are you going to outmaneuver? Maneuver? How are you going to outlast without doing more? whether that's more research, uh, giving away more, um, actually sustaining your position and being available more than others, you're, you're going to have to give more time. You make a really important point, and I, I'll, I'll try to paraphrase it, which is how do you make up for the fact that your competition has more money than you, yep. has a bigger team than you, Yep. more customer awareness than you, has more experience than you. Mm. What are you going to do to level the playing field? And the only thing that you have at your disposal is work. Work, time. Sell your time to yourself. Sell your time to your why, sell your time to your future. Um, in worst instances, it's not only that they have more of everything which is valuable, you are not even applicable in that environment. We entered the hair and beauty industry. We entered the hair and beauty industry <laughs> as males. Everything was stacked against us. But it was that drive and it was God's grace, which I, I like to look back on it and think that he looked down on me and thought, <laughs> it's okay, let's, let's, let's allow him to run with this for a little bit. He's, he's working hard, well done. And he just was merciful um, because everything is set against you. Well, tell me about that, though, because I think for a lot of people, when you find yourself trying to bang on the doors of a new industry, you can find yourself being locked out. Mm -hmm. And I, I, would, I can't recommend this Netflix versus blockbuster series on business wars enough because it will tell you a story of how a upstart, a rising upstart, is constantly being blocked out by the incumbent. Mm. But it's typical in the industry. Yep. What stops you from just saying, 
you know what? I've tried. I've I've I've, I've put in a good good shift. Um, this is not for me. Two things which come to mind immediately. The first thing is your why. The second is your characteristics. I'm going to go to your characteristics first before your why. I'm a finisher. I don't like to start something and not finish it. Now, I'm critically reflective of myself to know that that's a characteristic. So I play on it. So for example, I've started this program to read the Bible in 60 days. I've started it, so I've got to finish it. I have that gene in me. Um, so I will push myself into the deep end, literally, because I know I'll swim, but I don't want to do it. So reflect upon your characteristics. What kind of personality are you? Um, and review, okay, is this bringing the best out of you or is this making you quiver? If it's making you quiver, highlight that, okay, this is the way you are going to respond in your default mechanism. This is not what to do. This is what you want to do. Go against the comfort. Then remember your why because your why should enable you to punch one more time, to, to make one more call, to send one more letter, to stay up one more hour. Like, remember it, have it at your frontal lobe. If it doesn't, forgive me, maybe it's not that big a deal, maybe. Because I could have potentially ventured into another industry with the same why, and said, well, I still have my why, I'm still holding on to my why, but the truth is my character. My character suggested that actually I couldn't do that because I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be genuine to myself, I wouldn't be actually doing what is true. If I just jump from one thing to another, I'm, I'm fooling myself and neglecting my why. I have sown these seeds in this industry, it's got to bear fruit. I've got to continue the process because I know eventually it will work. Well, you make a very interesting point, which is around pivoting. And I'm not going to stick on this point because I think we could delve into it in a lot more detail. But pivoting is a really important thing to understand when you're in beast mode, because there's a difference between working hard and working smart. Yeah. And around that, the statement that I would make is failure is not fatal. Mm. failure is not fatal um, and we as humans we buy into what is referred to as the sunk cost fallacy which is if we spend a lot of money in a specific area then we are obsessed with getting a return on investment in where we've spent money sure. and it's not just money it's resource it's why people stay in relationships which are bad for too long because you spent time and energy in this relationship and ending that relationship now would be like a waste of time. Mm. Well, if you ended that relationship three years in when you actually had that first um, uh, thought about this might be a failure, then maybe you could have saved your blushes when you had mm. a divorce 10 years down the line. And the reason why I bring that up is because just because you've identified that something you're doing isn't necessarily working effectively, it doesn't mean that you haven't built up the muscle, the energy, the experience to apply that to something else. And a pivot isn't failure. It's I have done an exercise, learned a lot, and now by understanding this, I can now apply that learning to something else. 
Mm. And it's such an important point, and it's why beast mode can be so dangerous. Because within beast mode, you have tunnel vision. Yeah. And sometimes you do not have the sensitivity to do what you're saying because you're so engrossed in what you're trying to execute. You're there in the ring swinging, not realizing that everyone's left. That, or that you're not actually connecting with anything. So I think it's, it's such a, a valuable point. Um, the thing and, that, uh, a warning around beast mode. The thing that I, I, I try to hold on to certain nuggets of, of information, which will help me realize that it is easy to, to find yourself blinded by tunnel vision. And one of those nuggets of information is that YouTube started off as a dating website. Did it? It started off as a dating website. So what, people posted videos of themselves? Listen, I don't know the ins and outs of it. I just know that the initial value proposition for YouTube was dating. And something didn't quite click in their offering and they decided to pivot or they identified something new. Mm. Their initial journey and and found a business model which was very emergent. So for me, that's a really important lesson to hold on to, which is just just start the journey. The end result may not be where you thought it would be, but by starting the journey, you're going to equip yourself with tools and strength. Um, they, you know, there, there, there are other examples of this um, in... Football Manager, I was reading about this recently. I was reading how, well, they're a gaming company. Um, and now they're stressing that they're no longer a gaming company simply because actual football professionals are using them for data. They're using them in real-life situations. Um, so they're no longer branding themselves as a gaming company. They're actually in the football industry, which increases their, their brand profile, their value exponentially. So you, you're right. It's something which can happen not only through potential failure, but also success because it, it opens other doors. Absolutely. And, you know, there, there are a million examples that you can draw from. If you research the background of IBM, the software company, have a look at their journey. It's very interesting. If you have a look at Lego as another company, Mm. it's very interesting to see where Lego makes most of their money now. Lego makes a lot of money from software. movies. And yes, movies and software. Um, You wouldn't expect it, but as, as as a company, it makes more money from its digital offerings than it does from bricks, which when you think about it now, it makes absolute sense. But I'm sure when that first business model was designed, you're like, really? Someone could have been laughed out of a room, suggesting let's make films. But it's brilliant. I remember you once telling me that their, their profit was 33%. Um, the margins are amazing. And that's because of their digital offerings. Right. So the, the, the message there is understand when it's time to pivot. But you highlight a really interesting point, which is it's very difficult when you're in beast mode to identify that point. Because when you're in beast mode, you are (laughs) significantly malnourished. You're you're also sleep deprived and you're just working. You're getting your body to Mm. do functions Mm. on autopilot. So the question around that is, how do you stay sane at a time 
when you're literally pushing your body, your biology to its limits? For me, it's remembering that you are triumvirate. Is that a word? You are a triumvirate. You are not just a physical entity. Um, for some people, they'll coin it as feeding your mind, body, and soul. But it is feeding all aspects of you which bring about value, which are tangible. Um, we're going to speak about books later on, but for one of them was feeding your mind, your soul with valuable material. Um, what are you actually seeing on a day to day basis? What are you listening to on a day to day basis? So, um, I believe that faith comes by hearing. So, first, what you hear is what you will believe. So, reading nourishing texts and books. Um, listening to insightful podcasts, um, watching things which might inspire you or just energize you, um, thinking about your body and realizing that you are working your body more than ever before and that it does need to be replenished. And one thing I didn't do was actually take care of it. So actually eating right, healthily, and not just what you can get your hands to. Um, exercising frequently. It's amazing. Exercising like the last six days straight in the morning has, has filled me with so much energy. It's wonderful. And then your spirit. Um, we're spiritual beings. I think one of the reasons which we're definitely spiritual beings is that every year, one of the biggest blockbusters is a Marvel or DC film about the supernatural. It's almost strange that we are fascinated and fixated on the supernatural. Most of us don't believe it. Um, I believe there are spiritual beings and we need to really try to feed that side of ourselves and for me that was spending time meditating spending time in prayer praise reading the word um even those three definitely and i would add to that to your point around filling yourself with useful material something that i've been doing a lot recently is actually reading the autobiographies of american presidents Okay. Um, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and the reason being is because these are iconic individuals mm. but they were just human beings who came from humble beginnings who had very simple lives and yep. transformed the landscape of the western world and to hear that in mm. his 20s George Washington was a commander uh, in in for, for, for the resistance cool. army. Yep. You, you look at it and you go, wow, that's, that's what somebody pushing themselves to their ultimate potential is. That's what it can look mm -hmm. like. And then when you find yourself in this environment that we're in now with Starbucks and Wi-Fi and um, Krispy Kreme donuts, you ask yourself, what do those spirits, or what could those spirits achieve at a time like this? If they dropped in this world right now, what would, how would they have impacted the world so effectively? Yeah. Um, or reverse engineering that, how would the world have negatively impacted them? Yes. In a way, they're liberated by not having those things. Absolutely. They're limited. They're, you know, they're, the, the fact that we see so much commoditized solutions means our creativity is limited which means we often have to try even harder to be creative yeah. because problem solving is, is a lot more difficult when most of the people around you 
are living very pretty and comfortable. Um, I heard recently that one of the major attributes that all employers look for is your ability to problem solve. There are various attributes. And it's interesting because I see in education how young people now are becoming worse and worse at problem solving. Um, their imagination isn't what it was, even though that they have 300 channels on the television. Their imagination is horrendous because they are docile. They're just receiving constantly. As, as somebody who uh, assesses candidates and interviews people for employ, em, employee positions at, at work, I'd say that problem solving, complex problem solving is number one. Mm. When I do an assessment center, I am looking for somebody who stands out and can maybe take a step back from a challenge and ask some really insightful questions about what it is that they've been asked to do. Those people are the ones who stand out to me. Yeah. If you are a follower and don't necessarily value creative thinking or creative problem solving, then I think you're always going to be limited by what you can achieve. Um, it's true. So important. I say the other thing that's important around staying sane for me is people. Mm. It's people for many reasons. The first reason is because one of the things that sends me round the, round the bend is problems. It's when I am stuck on, an, on, on a problem that I can't solve. I just don't mm. have the solution to. And if I continue to, to fight against that problem then and, and, and constantly come up with the same answer, I'll eventually start to crack. Mm. And why people are so important is because then you have more processing power or even shortcuts to help you solve that problem. I remember there was a period where I was trying to get my uh, MBA and I came across two very significant problems. One was that I had two full-time jobs and the other was that I didn't have 35,000 pounds lying around to spend on an MBA. And it was something that I wanted so much, but I couldn't crack the code. I couldn't solve the conundrum. And it wasn't until I just spoke to a friend of mine and just shared my issue with him, shared it and just said, really want to do an MBA. I don't have the time. I can't afford it. And he said, yeah, that was me about a year ago. Um, I found this course, which was uh, paid for by a lot of the tech companies in Silicon Valley. And they mm. use it as a recruitment tool. And it's a fully accredited MBA. I'll send you the link. All right. Within about six weeks of me having that conversation with this individual, I was admitted onto the MBA course that he was talking about. And just over a year later, I have an accredited MBA. And if I didn't have that conversation with that one individual, then oh. that problem wouldn't have been solved. And that's one reason why people is so important to your sanity. The other reason why people is so important to your sanity is exemplified by what we're experiencing right now. During this COVID period, when we're all in self-isolation and the world seems to be coming to an end, are you still thinking about that deadline that you had? <laughs> two weeks ago are you still thinking yeah oh, 
Karen at work who has got it in for you? Probably not. Now you realize what's really important. It's your loved ones. It's the people that you are surrounded by on a daily basis and the fact that they are safe and they are healthy and the fact that they care about you and they love you. And if you've got that, and I'm praying for anybody who doesn't have that right now because I believe that it solves so many problems. If you've got that, you don't know how lucky you are. Mm. Such a powerful way of putting your mind on the things that really matter. So those are the two things that I would add to what keeps us sane. Important. So, so important. Next question. Um, Go for it. it. So next question. We talked about how do we say sane um, at this time. When is it time to stop? When is it time to call it quits on beast mode? When is it time to actually have a normal life and to maybe take, take a step away from the war zone that is entrepreneurship and actually start to appreciate what you've built? There are several questions within that question in terms of what a normal life is. I wonder, does Zuckerberg wake up, kiss his wife, read a paper, meditate and think, think, think for a while as to what he's going to do next before answering a few emails and then going to see what his wife is doing again. Is that, is that his normal? Uh, does Buffett look at the stocks and thinks, yep, it's time to invest again? I don't, what is normal? Um, this question really segues into next week on the team. Because I think once you've reached that point where you know you're actually a limited resource, when you're in beast mode, you feel immortal for a period. And then soon you realize that that your immortality is a myth. um, And you know that you have to exit. And the only way you're going to exit is by building a structure. So systems and structures are so important. I remember once reading a book where um, um, the man challenged our perception and my perception that the most valuable entities in any business are the people. If you were asked the question, what's the most valuable commodity or thing in this company? A lot of people would say the people, and they're probably right. But he suggested actually it's the systems and structures because if you take an exceptional person out of this business and put them into that business, their results might not necessarily be the same, possibly because the systems and structures in their existing business enables them to flourish or execute in a way that they won't be able to in the new one because of poor processes and structures. Going back to my point, once you're feeling that fatality, you need to build a team. You need to get people around you who can take things off so that you can think. And I think that normality, whatever it is for you personally, has to incorporate you having time just to sit and think because you have built something. You are a creator. the what will come out of you best will come through your mind and not necessarily your hand. So you have to get to that point where you're elevating your thinking and doing your highest purpose. Um, people have spoken about this. TJ has spoken about this. Tony Robbins has spoken about this. They've all phrased it in one way or another about seeing yourself as your most valuable asset and that what you do has to be what no one else can. Um, if someone else can do it 70% as well as you, really they should do it because that's not what you should be focusing on. So I believe when you get to that point of knowing 
<clears throat> your life bar in the top is waning, <laughs> um, build that system, build that structure, get that team. And listen, I would add to that. I think you need to listen to the people around you because you're going to be the last person to know that you're mm-hmm. True. You will definitely be the last person to know that you're burnt out. And if you have a team of people who you trust around you, they're going to tell you, listen, you need a holiday. You need to take a step back or you've been doing this for too long. You've been, you've been in the trenches too long. Mm. See what, you see what happens when people have been in prison for too long. They get used to being in, in prison and then they can't adjust to normal life. Yeah. And this is the exact same thing that happens when you stay in beast mode too long, which is you can't even enjoy a series on television because you're, you think to yourself, I should be doing something. Yeah. If you find yourself in that zone, in that position, that you can't spend an hour watching a television program with your partner because you are feeling unproductive, you've gone too far. Yeah. And if you've got people around you, they will tell you as much. So I recommend, it's so important to, to listen. Sorry, you were gonna say. You took me to Portugal. And I remember a receptionist at one of the hotels must have thought that we were queer. Um, <laughs> but I raised that to, to listen to you now. What did you see? Um, then what did you see a year, two years prior to that, which made you realize that, yeah, you've gone too far? I saw somebody whose identity was their business. Mm. Um, And I think it was very easy for me to notice a shift because I know you as a multifaceted individual, Mm. somebody who has many strings to his bow. So I saw you as somebody who was slowly becoming a one individual. And I knew that that wasn't you. And I knew that that couldn't fulfill you because ultimately you are somebody who is a varied individual. You're complex, you've got humor to you, you've got compassion, you've got, um, you've got an, you, you had hair. (laughs) <laughs> it's, still there. it's still there listen the light sometimes you know it kind of shifts in the help. we just need to focus on this it's just not in the <laughs> right but you were turning into somebody who wasn't as inquisitive or as curious mm-hmm. as you normally were and i think those factors played a part in me wanting to to shake you out of it almost Mm. And it wasn't easy because while we were in Portugal, you spent, I, I would say, 60 to 70% of the time on your phone yep. <laughs> um, managing the business. But I understood it. And we put, we, put time, we put time aside for that. During the period where we went to Portugal was actually when we made our first hire, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, we were about to sack someone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we made a very important hire. We made, a, we, made a, we made a very important hire. And sorry, it wasn't our first hire, it was our second hire. Mm. Um, and we needed that space to actually make that decision effectively. Yeah. We needed to be able to, to take a step back 
to effectively make a decision. We had very different ideas of what that holiday was because your vision of the holiday at the time, if you remember, was, yeah, we're just going to have a business meeting for two weeks, for, for two days in Portugal. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, no, that's, exactly, that's not what we're going to do. But the reason why I did it was because when you're running a business, there's a level of martyrdom which you feel, which is I'm sacrificing myself for the business. My blood, sweat and tears is going into this business and therefore mm. I am doing what I should be doing. I'm doing what I can to keep this business afloat. And you start to feel like taking time for yourself is selfish. Oh. And I know that that's how you felt. Definitely. And you needed to do something about that. And I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for you. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking that for those people who are listening right now who think, you know, that sounds like me right now. I'm speaking from experience. Abby suggests listen. People are telling you they're going to continue to tell you at some point you need to register what they're saying um, and ask for help start posing questions and if you know that you're in that boat um drop a comment reach out to us let's have that conversation um yeah. i think the more people you speak to the more solutions will come I, I remember one session where i think i spoke to you for must have been day three quarters of the day and then fell asleep because i was so drained because i just unloaded so much um communicate people speak to us and and this can take multiple forms so one form it can take is you're focusing all of your energy on one mission the other form which you didn't experience and there have been times in my life when i've experienced is where i focused all of my energy on multiple things i always had to be doing things i almost judge my value based on how many different things i could be doing at once how many different plates I could be spinning at once. And that's just yeah. dangerous because what you're saying is exactly the same, which is I am not allowed to rest. Mm. And it's just as dangerous. So if you're in that position where you just can't stop, even if you've done everything in one avenue, you're starting to look at different avenues to fill your time and resting mm. and taking it easy just doesn't sound viable or feasible to you. Yeah. Then same again, reach out to us because that's just as dangerous. Rest is key. And if you're that far gone that you don't see the value in rest, what I will say is your creativity comes from rest. Definitely. Your creativity comes from rest. Some new business models have been developed in my sleep. Hmm. They've been developed while I've been on holiday. So please don't undervalue the importance of rest for your brain to actually be creative. Wise words. <clears throat> Wise words. Um, we, we've got a question around books. Yeah, we do. We do have a question around, um, what books should I read to execute? Um, you've mentioned podcasts, you've mentioned um, relationships. But you've mentioned the books that you're reading. So you spoke about um, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. That's right. Yeah. Definitely adding those to the list. Um, 
what, what would you recommend to someone who knows that they should be reading? They hear of other people reading and they think that's a really good thing to do, but they're not doing it themselves. One, why should they read? Two, what should they read and why? So the first thing I would say is if you are somebody who is averse to reading, then this is something that you have to get out of your character because it's not a good thing to have. My brother told me something which has always stuck with me, which is if your brain is like a computer, a book is like a software update. So if you're not updating the software or the operating system, then you still got the 1980s model where other people are, are, are dealing with, the, you know, the brand new OS. So consider the value that books bring and also consider the type of person that you want to be. Some yeah. of the smartest people I know can quote books, um, chapters, and uh, the, the author off the top of their head. They would say, you know, um, uh, whoever it was, E.L. James or... Um, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, said X. And it's amazing to see people do that. If you want to be that type of person, the only way you can be that type of person is to read. Now, there's technology that can help us along the way. So one of the things I would recommend as a substitute, but not the cure, is audible. If you're struggling to read at the moment, simply because you find it really hard to delve into a book, pages, get audible and actually just listen to books while you're doing other things. That would be my startup attempt. But it's still no substitute for actually picking up a book and reading it. Trust me, it's different. So your question was around what, which books would I recommend to somebody to delve in if, if they were going to yeah. delve into... If you could offer three to five... Um... I've already thought about this, so it's kind of an unfair question. But off the top of your head, three to five books that you'd recommend, um, and why? One book that changed my life was um, actually the book that I've got with me right now. <laughs> this is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. It's such a amazing breakdown of some of the key principles around just being a productive, effective person. But it's not just about being an, an amazing business person. It, it's about being an empathetic business person or an mm -hmm. empathetic person, a compassionate person, somebody who is a loving person. And that's why I love it because it's about, by being an effective person, it takes a very holistic approach. So Stephen Colby, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People would be my number one. Read that. Read it more than once. The second time you read it, you're going to pick up things that you didn't read the first time. Mm -hmm. Another book that I will highlight, and I'll stop here because I feel like I'm going to pick up on some books that you'll mention. So we can, wow. do, we can do back to back after that. But the next book I'll, I'll highlight is Dale Carnegie, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> Such a solid book. Because once again, the book is never going to be mind... The, the amazing thing about that book is it's not mind-blowing. When you read certain things, you're going you're gonna to say, that makes absolute sense. They are things that you know, but have never been articulated so clearly about 
empathizing with people, understanding people, understanding how the word work, the world works. And it's applying simple principles about engaging with human beings to every aspect of your life, which is gonna change the way that you see your work, it's gonna change the way you see your relationships, it's gonna change the way you see your kids. Such an amazing book. Over to you. <laughs> <laughs> right people this is not staged so i'm going to say very dale carnegie how to win friends and influence people and stephen oh. covey seven habits of highly effective people i listened to this one whilst driving to work every day i read this one cover to cover i'm not going to add much else to what abby said i think the biggest like their PR agents. The biggest plug that I could give is the fact that this hasn't been staged and we both selected these books. These books are crucial to your development as a human being. Forget entrepreneurship, forget business, just you as an individual. These are books which I'm going to put under the nose of my kids and say, read this. Um, still your turn. Those are my two. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> I'm looking right, at John Maxwell's The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Now, when he says irrefutable, they are most definitely irrefutable. Read this book. What I love about this book is that for each of the laws, there is a, a real life tangible case study applied to them of real um, politicians, business people who have applied this principle and executed. If you could absorb one or two of these, brilliant. You probably already have one or two, but just having this in a concise book, which is extremely easy to read. Uh, John Maxwell writes as if he's writing for 15 year olds. So do not be fearful of this book. You will love it. This will become one of your favorites. When I read this book, I recommended it to everyone that I knew. I also purchased a few of his other books and the book around uh, 15 Laws of Personal Growth. There's one around Developing the Leader in You, which is volume two. Just read his books. He has such great insight. A lot of it coming from the Bible itself, but he's, he's brilliant. He is a quotesmith. So he's someone who quotes a great deal of other people in his own work. So it enables you to have references elsewhere to develop your, your reading. So definitely pick this up. Brilliant. Yeah, I would agree and highlight that point as well, which is if you want a list of really useful books to, to, to read, read 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership and then just follow all of the books that were highlighted in that. Yeah. Um, my next book is an interesting one. It's by a guy called Professor Steve Peters. And it's called The Chimp Paradox. Okay. Um, and it's referred, to the, it's referred to as the Mind Management Program for Confidence, Success, and Happiness. Now, the reason why I like this book is because what it does is it breaks down a lot of the human condition in a way which is easy to understand. Mm. And not everybody listening may be fully bought into some of the concepts of evolution but what it explains in a very easy to digest way 
is as a biological system, there are certain aspects of us as flesh and blood that are almost beyond our understanding and our control. So every time we think about why we're getting angry or jealous or um, uh, disengaged or irrational, these are, these are things where the rational part of our, our brains will ask ourselves, why did I get so upset? Why did I get irrational? And the chimp paradox is all about understanding that rational, irrational mind and how to control it more effectively. So that when you are dealing with times of struggle, when you are dealing with times of chaos, you understand what aspect of that is the irrational flesh and blood side of you and how yeah. the intellectual advanced mature side of you can help manage that more effectively. Mm. Um, it's really good when dealing with relationships and handling relationships because it makes you so much more sympathetic. If you're dealing with somebody who is acting out of an irrational place, you're able to understand that this isn't them. Mm. This isn't the person that I know and love. This maybe is an aspect of them which has been molded and shaped by their upbringing, by their human reflexes to difficult situations. So I absolutely recommend it for all of the reasons that I've recommended the other books, which is it just helps you be a well-rounded person. The Chimp Paradox, no taken. Added to a very lengthy list. Um, I picked four books and my fourth and final book is a book which looks rather tattered actually, when you think about it, because um, I've actually started to, to use it for the first time in my life. Um, I've read it more in the last seven days than I have in the last 30 years. Um, I'm a person of faith, but if you're not, this book has exceptional examples of leadership, um, principles just to live by in terms of how to execute, how to care for others, how to influence people effectively, how to ensure that you actually have a lasting legacy. But it also helps me focus on purpose and the fact that many people might be tuning into this thinking about entrepreneurship and how to make as much money as possible. But why? Why are you doing that? What purpose is it for? Um, is your why really your why? Or could it be that your why might graduate to an even greater why? And that's the why that you are aware of right now, but there's an even greater why within you, which once you start doing more soul searching, more almost like critical reflection, you'll be able to find that. And if you find that, that's a why which will serve masses of people. Um, it's a book which highlights that we're not alone. It's a book which emphasizes the importance of community and ensuring that we are just spreading our impact as far as possible. Um, Holy Bible. That's it. Currently holding up my, my, my uh, version of the Bible. I'm not going to add anything to what Afalabi said. I completely agree. Even if you're not somebody who is religious, I recommend reading the best-selling book ever written. Not only is it the best-selling book um, ever written because it's been around for so long, it is the best-selling book every year. So when you see the New York number one bestseller, they don't put the Bible in it because by default, they already know it's the best-selling book. 
there is no doubt that there are lessons, that there is information in there that is universally applicable. So I, I couldn't recommend reading that book and just understanding the, the themes and the concepts that drive the vast majority of people on this planet. And I'm, I'm talking about the entire Judeo-Christian faith. The mm. Holy Bible create, includes the Torah. So yeah. I, I recommend that as some, for, for somebody who just wants to, to understand some of the underlying themes which dictate the, the rule of law in this country. Um, mm. it, dictate, it dictates the idea of the sovereignty of the individual. So when we talk about individual human rights, they all come from an initial idea that every human being is sovereign and that every human being has a soul. Where did that come from initially? It came from the Bible. So I couldn't recommend that book enough. Um, I would recommend another book, uh, which you've already mentioned, which is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Frankl. An, an amazing book, which talks to you about the importance of having a why and the importance of identifying meaning not only in what you do but in what other people do because when you employ staff when you employ people to to share your vision they need to have a meaning in them that can attach onto their tasks their their activities so by encouraging people to have meaning around you it makes you such an effective leader Find their meaning, find how you can cultivate their meaning and it will help you propel people to heights that they've never seen before. Mm -hmm. But honestly, just read that book because it, it, it explains to you just how vital meaning is to, for, for people to be effective. And maybe one book out of left field. Now this isn't a really popular book and I think maybe we continue doing this until we run out of books. But one book which I read recently, which I, I'd recommend especially to any women uh, listening to this at the moment is a book called Who Thought This Was a Good Idea? And it was a book written by a lady called Elisa Mastromonaco, and she was the deputy chief of staff for President Obama. And she was one of the youngest deputy chiefs of staff, chiefs of staff uh, to ever hold that position. And it's a funny, interesting book about how she got into that position or what she did afterwards. But the, the lesson that I would say that book teaches people, women especially, is the importance of having confidence in themselves, but the importance of believing that you do deserve to be in the room, mm -hmm. even when you might not necessarily see yourself well represented. Um, mm -hmm. she handles the book in, and she handles the story in a really effective way. And mm -hmm. I'd, I'd recommend that for, for just somebody who might be, dealing with imposter syndrome, for instance. And in the entrepreneurial landscape, a lot of people do. Well, can you repeat the name of that book? So it's called, Who Thought This Was A Good Idea? Okay. Uh, by Elisa Mastromonico. Okay. Um, as you went left field, I'm also gonna go left field. Um, and I'm gonna pick fiction, a fictional book. Um, there are three that I have to mind right now. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with The Alchemist. Um, Paolo Coelho, Alchemist. Um, 
it's an incredible book about meaning and purpose and gold and, and, and goals and acquiring goals and the journey which is necessary to actually acquire those goals. Um, I, I won't give away the ending, but it's, it's got a really um, romantic and profound ending, which I believe will resonate with everyone and will force them to reflect on what their treasure actually is. So it's, it's definitely a book which moved me when I read it and one that I'll definitely recommend to others. So that's Paolo Coelho's um, The Alchemist. Amazing. Thank you. I've written a note on that. I'm reading that soon. It's on, it's on my list. Uh, next to another book that you recommended called The Invisible Man. Oh! The Invisible... You know, life is too short because there are books I need to read again. Um, <laughs> Ralph Ellison's The Invisible Man is my favorite fictional book and I need to read it again at some point. It is an amazing... <clears throat> what do you do when the society you live in chooses to ignore you? Um, not because you are invisible, but because the status that you have in that society makes you invisible. Read The Invisible Man. Ralph Ellison's The Invisible Man, and I believe that's the only novel he ever wrote. Um, brilliant book. Yeah, it's on my list. Hmm. All right, bro. I think that's another episode. I think that's another session. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. In my I've head, we're going to be able to do a one-hour session uh, this time around. We failed again. Three times in a row, we failed to do an hour. Um, next week, it sounds like we've got our session already agreed. We're going to talk about teams. Teams, definitely. We might touch on leadership as well, because I think that's almost intertwined, but leadership is definitely one separately, but definitely teams, yes. Leadership is another good one. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's put some notes in a WhatsApp group. Let's make it happen. We'll do this. But I will say to those people who are interested in the MBA that Abby mentioned, um, do message. Abby might put that in some of the comments to um, plug them, because I imagine there'll be some people out there who are thinking, I'm exactly in the same position. I haven't got the time or the finances right now. Um, who are these people? Um, if there are any of the podcasts, any of the books which you, we mentioned that you didn't really get, also put a comment down, but also suggest your own. Like, which books would you recommend that we read? I'm currently on a, a marathon challenge trying to finish the Bible, but after that, I've got a lengthy list and I'm keen to even add to that list. So what should I be reading? Please, please, please. If you've managed to... S- stay with us to this point then you're clearly invested in it in us so i'm speaking to you what book should i be reading Mm. thank you for listening this far because at at points you know we were just going in down our own little memory lane (laughs) sessions but we really value anybody who's got anything to share at this point so your questions your recommendations just your experiences please just get involved this is a very weird time for us and i think what, what we're experiencing with the coronavirus has really made people think about what's important unity camaraderie community is key so let's just have a community in any way we can agreed all right bro i will catch you soon stay safe stay blessed stay sane thank you we'll catch up expensive lessons thank you people peace Take care.